I just want to say good morning to everybody. Good morning. Yeah, and I'm sorry about yesterday. I thought we might be done sooner, but the um, obviously there was a lot of interest in the survey techniques, and I think that went on and on, which is great, and we need to go over that. But I had a client that had an urgent matter, so I had to leave. No worries, Commissioner Hobbs. I appreciate. Um, I know everyone's busy, and and I too thought we'd be finished earlier. And I was hoping to be able to testify on a bill at three thirty, and obviously didn't get to do yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but I'm free today till the very end. So I know we have a busy day, but I just um, I really didn't, and I I really didn't think it would go after three thirty. It was great dialogue yesterday, though, really good conversations on all of our agenda items. So I appreciate it. Well, I think it's really important um, that they go over that. We've been over that same presentation in the past, and I really enjoyed that there were the questions and enlightening the public who's tuning in as well. So that's wonderful. Right. Yep. Thank you. Okay. It's nine o'clock. Good morning. Everybody ready for today? <laughs> it's going to be a, bit, a little bit of a long day. We've got some commissioners who haven't been through it before. So um, we'll go as, as slowly as we need to or as quickly as we need to. So um, it is 9.01 on Saturday, May 8th. And I'll call this meeting of the Nevada Board of Wildlife Commission to order. Um, Commissioner Hobbs, would you lead us in the pledge, please? Sure, I would be happy to. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible. Oops. Um, I had my dog come in and lick my foot. I'm sorry. Let's start again. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible. And I'm losing my words right now. With with liberty and justice. Liberty and justice for all. Thank you. The joy of the home distractions. <laughs> Oh, I know. I apologize. I had two dogs in here at my feet all of a sudden, so I apologize. No worries. Thank you. Missy, will you please call the roll of the commission? Absolutely. Chairwoman East? Here. Vice Chair Barnes? Here. Commissioner Ohmberg? Here. Commissioner Cavilla? Here. Commissioner Hubs? Here. Commissioner Keel? Here. Commissioner McNinch? Here. Commissioner Green. Here. Commissioner Rogers. Here. Thank you. Thank you. And could we have the members of the CABS identify themselves, please? Um, just pop up. And Mr. Burnside, my apologies. I know you're from Douglas, and I stated yesterday that you're from Carson City. So my sincerest apologies. Um, so we've got Mr. Dixon, Mr. Burnside, Mr. McVickers, Mr. Gildone, Mr. Crawford, Mr. Robinson, Mr. Reese, going too fast, Mr. Green, and Mr. Pitts. Did I miss anybody? 
Mr. Cooney, Mr. Ray. Hey, fabulous. Thank you all for letting us know you're here. If I missed you, please raise your hand. Mr. Bunch, I see Mr. Bunch. Mr. Krim. Okay, thank you all. Um, uh, agenda item number 13, approval of the agenda, Chairwoman East for possible action. The commission will review the agenda and may take action to approve the agenda. The commission may remove items from the agenda, continue items for consideration or take items out of order. Do we have any questions on the agenda? Okay. Seeing none, I'll take it out for public comment. Any uh, comments on our agenda for today, Saturday, May 8th? Okay, seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for a motion to approve. I have a, okay, Commissioner Rogers. Yes, I'd like to make a motion to approve the uh, agenda for today, Saturday, May 8th as approved and outlined. Thank you, do I have a second? I'll second that. Okay, I have a second by Vice Chair Barnes. So a motion by Commissioner Rogers, a second by Commissioner uh, Vice Chair Barnes to approve today's agenda as presented. All in favor, please raise your hand. And opposed, motion carries nine to zero. Thank you very much. Um, Agenda item number 14, member items, announcements, and correspondence, Chairwoman East informational. Commissioners may present emergent items. No action may be taken by the commission. Any item requiring commission action may be scheduled on a future commission agenda. The commission will review and may discuss correspondence sent or received by the commission since the last regular meeting and may provide correspond or copies for the exhibit file. Commissioners may provide hard copies of their correspondence for the written record. Correspondence sent or received by Secretary Wasley may also be discussed. So I have sent any of the correspondence that was re received yesterday and last evening to Missy this morning. I believe you were all copied on any of that correspondence. I've also had some phone calls. Um, I talked with Mr. Laughlin this morning up in the Ruby Mountains and um, I spoke with Mr. Jellison and Mr. Gerard this week. Any other correspondence that you all want to share? Okay, seeing none, Secretary Wasley, do you have anything? No, Madam Chair, I do not, thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, if that's it for agenda item number 14, we'll move on to 15. Okay, County Advisory Boards to Manage Wildlife Member Items Informational. CAB members may present emergent items by raising their hands in the virtual forum no action may be taken by the commission. Any item requiring commission action will be scheduled on a future commission agenda. Do we have any CAB members who wish to make a comment? Okay, I don't see any, so we'll, be, we'll move on. Before I uh, jump into item number 16, I want to state um, that we're going to 
This is a long meeting and um, I wanna give you a little bit of um, information before we start agenda item number six, 16, the commission regulations. Um, so today, um, as we're really reviewing these, um, these tag quotas, we're going to take cab comment first. So all cabs will be asked to comment before any general public is asked to, to present um, their, their comments. Um, I would ask the commissioners when you're making a motion to approve um, a subsection or a section of our, our TAG quotas, um, that NRS 501.181, our duties and regulations, um, does require us to, um, I'm gonna read it actually, the, the section that's important, it's subsection four, if in establishing any regulations pursuant to this subsection, the commission rejects the recommendations of a county advisory board to manage wildlife with regard to the length of the seasons for fishing, hunting, and trapping, or the bagger possession limits applicable within the respective county. The commission shall provide to the county advisory board to manage wildlife at the meeting an explanation of the commission's decision to reject the recommendations and as practicable after the meeting, a written explanation of the commission's decision to reject the recommendations. So when you're making a motion, if you can just state why maybe we're going against a CAB recommendation, or it can be as simple as we feel the department's recommendation is a better way to go, or is more consistent with our view of what the quota should be. Um, and then um, I'll also be asking, um, some of the CABs did not respond um, to, the, to the quotas either in the online section or with an action report from their meetings. And they may not have been able to have a meeting, but I would ask that, um, that cabs please speak up throughout the day. We, this is a, like I said, a long meeting and we can't do this without you. So if you feel strongly about a recommendation, please speak up. We have, like I said, most of your recommendations, but it would be really uh, helpful if you would speak up um, throughout the day. So with that, any questions? Commissioner McNinch? Thank you, Madam Chair. I didn't realize I was unmuted, but anyway, um, I do have, uh, you know, considering um, that we've got this uh, statutory requirement to, uh, you know, explain, um, explain ourselves if we go against a CAB recommendation. Uh, and I, I'm not sure whether this is the proper time to do it or uh, doing it later on, but, you know, I'm kind of speaking to the cabs here. So um, I just wanted to, to, to talk about or just throw something out on the table that's that's really important for us to, to make these decisions. Um, for, for several hours yesterday, uh, we heard how the department uh, gets its data, how they process it, the checks and balances in place, um, how they calculate quotas and, uh, and uh, come up uh, with those quotas for desired management objective. Um, which those objectives have largely had uh, have had a lot of input from the cabs over the years. So um, there's there's a lot of tie in there. Uh, so to the cabs, um, I, I would really like to know um, what processes uh, the cabs have used uh, to, to gather their information, uh, how they processed it, and how they calculated their quotas. Um, what are their checks and balances? Uh, what are the management objectives? Um, these are the things that. Um, the, this, this is where I'm going to make my comparisons and my understandings. Um, uh, 
what were your conversations regarding maximum sustained yield? These are all things I heard from the department yesterday. Um, the reason I ask is twofold. Cabs are clearly, they're clearly upset about uh, mule deer numbers. Um, we're all concerned. So it's not, it, it's not a problem. I'm just saying that, that more so than in the past, um, you know, their alarms are going off. And, uh, and, and uh, so it's important to have that conversation. Um, and the other, the other portion, uh, historically, the cabs uh, have relied heavily on, uh, on following science and bio biology from the department and uh, what's happened, what's changed. And uh, is it a value conflict? Is it that, you know, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Is it a value conflict? Not enough information. What is it? I can certainly relate. Um, you know, uh, me with my, with me with the bear issues and stuff, you know, I can certainly relate to, uh, those types of, of, uh, concerns, uh, that, that arise. Um, so I want to know what's driving that. If it's not a value conflict or lack of information, then what, what is it? What, what's driving, what's driving their concerns? And maybe we can, uh, maybe we can figure out a way to go down a path of pulling things back together. So. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there to the cabs in all fairness that that's where my mind will be working today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Keel. Yeah, thank you, Madam Chair. I was just looking maybe for the department or the cabs to clarify or reconcile how we manage conflicting cab agreements. I think for the most part, the antelope were really specific and the cabs only um, gave an opinion on their area. But I know in deer, there was a couple of areas, one Humboldt and Pershing where they share um, the same unit and they have different opinions on what the quota should be. And then as we get into elk and uh, sheep as well, you know, all the cabs across the state are recommending different objectives and, and quotas. and. And what's the thought about how we should think about and respond to the cabs today on that? Thank you. Secretary Wasley, are you? Yeah, <clears throat> thank you, Madam Chair. And thank you for the question, Commissioner Keel. It's a really good question. And the, I think the answer um, has been variable through time. I think, um, I think about Chris Smith's presentation yesterday, and I think about um, that input and the engagement and the public trust. And I think um, as a commissioner, I, I think that uh, it's appropriate, perfectly appropriate to, to place equal weight um, on those conflicting cab. Some cabs historically have only made recommendations relative to the quotas within their county. Other cabs have uh, saw fit to make recommendations elsewhere. I think one of our challenges and, and maybe a past frustration of the department is that if the overwhelming majority of cabs were silent on a particular recommendation, and then one cab um, offered a recommendation that countered the department's recommendation that some past commissions may have been inclined to uh, go with that one cab, but um, it has oftentimes uh, upset the other cabs who in their silence or support, um, you know, felt that their input was, wasn't adequately you know, acknowledged or, but I, I think at the end of the day, um, as, as Chris Smith said yesterday, um, you know, we are all here for all the wildlife and all the people um, and that we don't necessarily 
um, you know, have a particular recommendation that we give deference to one county over another, place more weight um, on one county or another. But I would offer um, certainly anybody else from the department or or even um, Dag Burkett, um, who's who has greater familiarity with those specific roles and responsibilities. Um, but I don't believe there's there's anything that would require the commission to place uh, disproportionate emphasis on you know one cab over another. I hope that's helpful. But thank you for the question, Commissioner Keel. It's a great great question. Thank you, Commissioner Hubs. I think it would be good uh, for us to have Mr. Um, potentially have um, Mr. Burkett cite the statute we're looking to today in terms of what, what our obligations are to cite the CAP request or why we defer from the CAP request just so everyone's on the same page and so it goes fairly smoothly today. Okay, thank you. Dag Burkett? Yeah, so uh, Tiffany, you did a great job of citing that statute for us, and I greatly appreciate that. I sent that on to Commissioner Chair, uh, Madam Chairwoman East earlier in the week just to make sure that we um, are, we, the Wildlife Commission is cognizant of their obligations as it relates to the county advisory boards, and, uh, and, and she actually cited it. You know what I could do? Uh, Commissioner Hubs is send that email to you so you have it as well. It's it's no I just uh, and, and Chairwoman East uh, just cited the actual statute and for some reason of course as I'm going to look for it right now I don't have it in front of me. Um, well, the, what's the number of that statute? The statute is NRS 501.0. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me start over. 501. 0.181 duties and regulations. Okay, thank you. I think that will be helpful to keep in front of us to revert back to when we're making motions mm -hmm. and making sure we're in compliance with it. You bet, you bet. Does anyone else want a copy of that? Maybe the dad can send it to Missy and she can send it to everyone. Okay. Perfect. I'll send it to everyone. Thank you. Any other questions or thoughts? Yes, Commissioner Cavilia. Um, I, I guess just, just kind of my opinion too, but, um, the cabs are important and I do, I, I've heard it a lot that I, I talked to a lot of people and I hear a lot of people that they, they don't want to get involved anymore. Cause they're like, Oh, whatever we, whatever we say at the cab, the commission just overrides it. So I, it, it's really, I think it is really important that we listen to them. You know, um, I just wanted to put it out there. I've, I've heard that multiple times. It's not just one individual. I've heard it from a number of individuals and then, you know, um, it's just kind of the nature of our world now. It's like this, you know, don't trust anything type of deal. You know what I mean? Um, it, and it's out there. It, it's definitely out there. So I think it is really important to listen to the cabs and to the, and to the public. So I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Commissioner Hubs. I'm just going to go off on a little tangent just because yesterday we did have a really great uh, 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 dialogue about our public trust doctrine, you know, and this is where it gets difficult. I think as commissioners, and I just would like to point out, we have our, our department telling us biologically what they feel is best for the species. 
And then we have a subsection of our public coming back at us and saying, hey, you know, we don't quite agree with what the department's saying. We want to change this. And then ultimately we have to state now why we don't agree with the cabs. And it's like, to me, I find that um, difficult because we're trying to figure out what is best for the species. We have biologists telling us what they feel is best. We have the public telling us in certain sections of the state what they would like to see. And we have to make this determination. And if we veer from the cab, not the department, we have to state why. Is, am I interpreting that correctly? It's, so we it, have to say, even though the department says biologically this is sound, these people out in this community feel like this is a better decision. They live there. This is what they want. But we have to do what's best for the overall public and what's best for wildlife. And, and am I missing something here? Because I think this is really important to talk about openly. It puts the commission in a really bad position. I believe this was <laughs> my opinion, the legislation, because we're going to have to conversely, it's like, who are we answering to? We have biologists coming in telling us one thing and community members telling us they want another. And I can see how we can vary, but who is a controlling factor here? And I think that's something to talk about. It's difficult. And um, so just when we go over NRS 501.181, which section are we focused on here? Because we have a lot of duties mentioned here. We do. If you look at um, section 4A under seasons, establish, I'm sorry. Yeah, A is seasons of for hunting game animals and game birds. And I just want to remind everyone that this, um, you know, this was brought up to us at our last, well, our, our March meeting um, by one of our cabs that's, that felt like, as Commissioner Cavilia mentioned, they weren't being heard. And I, and I too have heard it from a number of cabs. They feel like, why even go through the process? Um, and so we are legislatively bound to provide a reason why we're not listening. I would recommend you, what was recommended to me when I got on this commission is to weigh mm -hmm. all sides, weigh the public side, weigh the cab side, weigh the biology side from the department, and then go with that, that feeling or that gut that you get or that you know, I know it's a balance and there's no real science to it, but that's, that was the recommendation to me. Um, and so that's where, that's the recommendation I would make to you. And if someone else has a different way to do it, then right. by all means do it your way. So chairwoman East, the only thing is when I'm looking at this subsection, we're in four, it says subsect, I'm looking under four A, it says the regulations must be established after this is halfway down, first considering the recommendations of the department, mm -hmm. comma, the county advisory boards to manage wildlife and others who wish to present their views at any open meeting. So first deference, in my opinion, is given to the department's recommendation. Is that correct? Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask Dad Burkett to respond to that. I, the only thing I'm asking you to do today is to state, if you're going against a CAB recommendation, is to state why. 
if, if you feel the department's recommendation is more of a fit, that's all I'm asking you to do. So that but we is can that required under law? That's what I'm, I'm asking you, because when I look at that section, I don't see where it says we have to state why. It does, in my opinion, it does. But the DAG sent this to me, so I'm going to have him. He's our legal advisor. I'm going to have him. Yeah, so if you go to sub, subsection 4A, and it's after that first sentence, uh, Commissioner Hubs is a long one. But um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine lines down, starting at the very end of that line, if. Do you see that part there? No, what subsection are you under? Still A? Subsection, so it's, it's 501-181, section 4A. And, and okay, so this, I must be looking, I'm looking online. So this was a recent change in legislation because uh, potentially I have old legislation up in front of me. I don't see an if. Perhaps you do. Here. You know what? I just, we just sent an email to you. If you could pull that email up, it has the relevant portion exerted. Okay. I just want to get this right before we go through all this. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Okay. And I highlighted the in bold the portion that has to do with the cab uh, recommendations. Do you see that there? Okay, so basically, if you go online, like you hadn't sent me the real statute, um, what happens is online, like if you go to Justicia or anything like that, they'll sometimes have outmoded statute, right? So to me, I'm wondering when was this change made? Because I don't see this in the regular statute online. So to me, that indicates quickly that there was a recent change in le legislation I, that I think required that this. Our deputy director <laughs> has a, a long history of knowledge about these issues and probably could okay. talk to you about that. I do recall though, that that occurred perhaps in the last decade, because I think prior to, well, prior to my involvement with the board, I watched a lot of commission meetings and uh, I do recall that there was um, some angst between the department and the commissions or the cabs and, and that was uh, moved into the statute with the concern that perhaps cab recommendations were not being followed or were not being considered, I should say. Okay, understood. Because to me, it just from practicing law, if something's online and you're sending me different variations of what happens on an online community, obviously, is legislation lags. So I'm like wondering, okay, when was this changing? Because the one online doesn't even reflect this verbiage. So yeah, this to me seems like a recent addition. I can look at that up. So it says, if in establishing any regulations pursuant to this subsection, the commission rejects the recommendations of the County Advisory Board to manage wildlife with regard to the length of the seasons, so on and so forth, bag limits, possession. The commission shall provide to the County Advisory Board to manage wildlife at the meeting an explanation of the commission's decision to reject the recommendations. And as soon as practical after meeting, a written or explanation of the commission's decision to reject the recommendations. So, the old legislation used to specifically say, first, we would consider the department. That's what I'm seeing the difference. And now it looks like the cabs are directing us. And if we don't do what the cabs say, we have to write uh, state why and then write an explanation to the cab 
um, to reject if their recommendations. Am I understanding that correctly? I think you are. And I do see that uh, I just looked up the, the statute myself under, under the legislature's uh, site and it had it there. I don't know what site you looked at. Um, yeah, the one I looked at, Craig, was just as we were talking, like I, you know, Googled Justicia U.S. law. Yeah, maybe that's um, old. Uh, so it's probably an old statute. This is 2014. The, yeah, so up, that was seven years ago. Um, like so it, I'm thinking, obviously, within seven years, we changed that legislation based on the information that you provided me in this new one. And I guess my feeling is this. Why do we even have biologists? I'm just going to tell you how I feel. Why do we even have biologists telling us what they believe the quota should be if the cab members are the ones we have to defer to? I'm not going to respond to that loaded question, but I will say that it looks like the statute was was changed in 2011 and 2015. So I believe that that was when this uh, particular, one of those dates was when this particular portion was added. So within either the last six or 10 years, but I, I'll do that research for you and I'll email you. Yeah. I mean, I just find that interesting because it's like, who's managing the public trust? Like, what are we doing here? And I mean, I understand we have to follow legislation. We're bound to do that. But I really question that whole concept of who's determining these quotas. Everyone's getting upset about our deer populations, getting mad at our department. And we're, yet we're deferring to the community out there for what the quota should be. And that's kind of, I don't see how we could ever get mad at the department if we're not going to listen to their biologists. That's just my opinion. And I mean, I don't really get heated into the hunting issues. I mean, I understand quota setting is really important for a lot of people. And I'm usually very quiet at these commission meetings. But to me, I think this is really important that we look at that and think about that because we have an overriding um, mantra to us to follow the public trust doctrine as a commission. And we get this legislation in here that's very difficult for us to do. And I understand why it's difficult. I mean, so we're gonna hear from a biologist today who says, this is what the quota looks like it should be from the scientific data. We told you all the survey information, so on and so forth. And then we're gonna have lay people out in the community living there telling us they think something else. And that if we defer from what they tell us to do, then we have to do X, Y, and Z and tell them why. And I understand that um, we need to get the, the, the public's view, but remember it's equitable shares of wildlife species. And we need to really value, I feel like this type of hand binding to the commission is unfair. And it's telling us to disregard scientific specialists, people out on the field doing the surveys, telling us what they think at, to any person who lives in that county who believes we should do something different, who met at a cab meeting. And that's difficult. I mean, for me to even put my mind around. And then if I do defer to the, the department over the cab, then I have to, do, you know, we have to put all this extra emphasis into why. And to me, I'm like, we should just be able to say the scientific information provided to us shows that it should be otherwise. And I think that's all I'm asking you to do today, Commissioner Hubs, is state, the scientific data states this, we're going with the department recommendation on this motion. You don't have to do it every time you make a, a, a you raise your hand. It's the, for the person making the motion to state, and we can decide to 
to support that or not. I saw Secretary Wasley's hand up. Thank you, Madam Chair. A um, couple, couple things to offer. Um, <clears throat> this was adopted in 2015. Uh, the department put forward a bill, it was, I think it was AB 78, um, and that bill was originally intended to give the commission authority to adjust the elk damage uh, compensation fee that's charged to elk tag applicants uh, in the event that the department saw a potential shortfall in that account, it would provide the commission the authority. Um, Senator Gokachia um, was able to take that bill and <clears throat> address a concern brought to him by counties who felt much the same as, as what some of you have expressed that you're hearing now. The history for wildlife management in Nevada is a long history of uh, debate around who ultimately has wildlife management authority. It originally began with the counties and went to the state and went back to the counties. And so this uh, debate has, has been an ongoing discussion for uh, a great number of years since the inception of wildlife management in Nevada between state, county, state, county. Um, and it concerns me greatly that we're starting off this meeting um, with the portrayal of, you know, such adversarial perspectives between the department and the cabs. And I think that uh, we are aligned, overwhelmingly aligned. We are overwhelmingly uh, in the minority in terms of individuals who choose to recreationally pursue and potentially harvest wild animals. And to find that we're, you know, at odds before we, you know, even begun to discuss recommendations from the counties and the department should probably concern us all a little bit. And I don't, I don't, um, I don't think that we have different desires and different objectives. We certainly have different training. We certainly have different data points. Uh, and I think that's what this discussion should really be about as Commissioner McNinch brought up. Yesterday we saw and heard the department's data points, where the department gets that data, what we do with that data. And Commissioner McNinch has asked that CABS also represent where they get their data. I think another really important part of this discussion is, um, you know, there will be recommendations of specific management actions as it pertains to quotas. Um, I would ask, you know, each county and each commissioner to, to ask, a, you know, why? Why is it that you want this action? What are your desired objectives, your management objectives with this action, and will those actions actually result in the achievement of those objectives? Because as we know, we, we as, as humans, uh, our lifespan, our reproductive cycle, uh, our comforts of, of, you know, having a thermometer to turn the air conditioning on or the heater on or thermostat, uh, you know, we are not subject to the same pressures, the same fluctuations, the same sources of mortality that wild animals are. And, and it is, uh, it's, it's kind of ironic that historically uh, some of these concepts have been best understood by commissioners uh, representing farming and ranching because of animal husbandry practices. Um, but I, I, it concerns me that we're starting off with kind of this adversarial tone because I overwhelmingly believe that the department and the cabs want the same thing where there happens to be disagreement is with, with the means by which or the, the, the mechanisms by which we get to that point. We all want healthy populations. We all want abundant opportunity. We all want 
high quality experiences, the, the disagreement sometimes comes in, in the best way to achieve that. And I, I don't think that should be lost um, as we talk about who to give deference to. One last point, um, Commissioner Hubbs, I, I, I certainly appreciate your concern over having to go to great lengths to uh, document anywhere that you differ from the CAB recommendation. And I'll share that since this was adopted six years ago, that what we've been able to do is, is capture uh, dissenting thoughts, ideas, opinions in the minutes. Um, and so when a commissioner um, says, well, I'm you know, going to go with the, with the CAB's recommendation on this, or there's a compromise even, uh, the department recommends this, the CAB recommends that, um, simply stating on the record uh, why you're you know, recommending what you're doing or, or going to vote the way you vote allows us to capture it in the minutes. And so for six years now, we've been able to um, meet that expected desire uh, to inform CABs why the commission or, or specific commissioners uh, went the direction that he or she did. So it, it hasn't been overly burdensome for the department to meet that aspect of the statute. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Secretary Wozniak. Commissioner McNinch. Thank you, Madam Chair. And, that, and I think Tony kind of summed up my comments, you know, with respect to the cabs, I talked to cab members uh, prior to this meeting. Um, and I, I, I've told the ones that I've talked to that it bothers me that they're upset. Um, and, and look, we're going to have some quotas that there's going to be disagreement on today, but the vast majority of the quotas, um, there's not going to be a ton of discussion on. Um, there's a lot of agreement there. Um, and, uh, it was expressed to me, you know, the relevancy aspect of these cabs. And it's like, look, the cab members sit on our committees. They have meetings. There's budget processes, which, by the way, get your budgets in <laughs> to Gil. Um, Madam Chair, I'll let you maybe expound on that when you get a chance. Um, but, you know, the commission recognizes the importance of the cabs. And um, when I made my statement, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be fair and open and honest and transparent with the cabs. These are the things that I'm going to want to hear. I don't expect you to, them to come in and say, well, we flew our helicopters and we did surveys over here. That I, that's, you know, I'm realistic. I get it. I'm not trying to pinch people in a corner, but Tony really wrapped the, wrapped that up uh, uh, very sufficiently for me. What, what, how, what are you basing your, your thoughts on? Give me something to compare as much apples to apples as possible so that I have something to, uh, to understand and, and, uh, and compare. I'm easier to convince to, to put to increase tags than I am to decrease tags. And the reason for that is just because of how my mind works and my understanding, um, how I understand things, uh, the biology and, and uh, doesn't make it wrong or right. It's just my thought process. So that's why I threw it out. It doesn't represent the full commission. I'm just, uh, that's Commissioner Hubs. That's why I made this statement. I wanted the cabs to um, understand where my thought, how I'm going to be processing information today and what I was looking for from them so that I could give fair weight to their, their comments and, and consider, um, consider their proposals. So I just throw that out and uh, uh I'm not uncomfortable with, with recommending, uh, explaining myself. Um, uh, and I appreciate the conversation to make sure that we're doing it properly and, and correctly because there was an intent to that statute. And, um, 
if if we don't uh, if we don't honor that and do the best we can to meet it, um, then um, we're remiss. And and so anyway, that's my thoughts. Okay, thanks. Let's move on. Uh, we've got a long day ahead of us, and I think this is unless anyone has anything further that is beneficial to add to the conversation. Otherwise, we're going to move on. This was not for public comment, so um, I was just trying to state some, um, not necessarily rules, but just the, uh, a little bit of the schedule, the way I, I see taking public comment today and making our motions. So with that, um, we'll start agenda item number 16, commission regulations for possible action adoption, public comment allowed commission, um, Agenda item number 16A, Commission Regulation 21-14, Big Game Quotas for 2021-22 Seasons. Uh, wildlife Staff Specialist Mike, Mike Cox, Cody Schroeder, Cody McKee, and Pat Jackson for possible action. The Commission will establish regulations for the numbers of tags to be issued for mule deer, pronghorn antelope, elk, bighorn sheep, and mountain goats for the 2021-22 seasons. Mr. Scott. Good morning, Madam Chair, members of the commission. For the record, I'm Mike Scott. I'm the administrator for the game division. Um, as you've seen, the department is generally recommending lower quotas this year. Uh, department biologists have seen lower recruitment in several areas um, and across species, primarily due to excessive drought conditions. Uh, we have not seen any meaningful relief in the form of precipitation anywhere in the, in the state to speak of, but despite the dry conditions, we still have good prospects for hunting. Um, my concern as of right now is that some, if not many of our big game herds may be over carrying capacity with respect to water um, and not to mention forage conditions. And if we were to go into next winter with our big game animals in, in poor body condition and we have a hard winter, we might see some excessive losses to some of our herds. Um, we have provided you with a list of CAB comments where they disagree with the department recommendations. Most of those comments are advocating for lower quotas in various units, although some of them are, are asking for some increases. Um, a lot of those changes are, are really minimal um, and, and they make very little difference to the population biologically whether those tags were removed or not. Um, the loss of those tags though, will be felt by the people who would have drawn those tags, but will now be denied that recreational experience. Um, so as you can imagine, if more bucks are left on the landscape after the seasons close, that will lead to a higher desired buck harvest the following year, which um, Cody and Cody went through that yesterday. The, the desired buck harvest is the number of bucks that, that we intend to remove from that population to maintain those ratios. And when we end up with, with additional bucks on the landscape, we find ourselves in, a, in this spiraling buck ratio scenario that, that you see. And, and they, it's that buck ratio creep that, that can be a, a, an issue biologically. Um, there's uh, one thing that I, I also want to mention. Um, there's a thought that a change one way or another um, will, will drive a, 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 the deer population up or down on whether 
we, we have you know, 20 more buck tags or 20 less buck tags, that that's gonna affect the population. And I, I just wanna, uh, all we have to do is look back a few years to what we had to do with our elk populations in order to change the trajectory of those herds. We had to issue so many elk tags to try to bring those populations down that, uh, you know, there was, there was, we had extra seasons and increased quotas and on and on and on. So the, the thought that just a handful of, of buck tags is gonna add or, or change the, the deer population is, it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hold water. Um, there's, there can be a few extra animals on the landscape, but it's not gonna change the actual trajectory of those herds. Um, <clears throat> and uh, one, one th there's an accusation out there that I heard the other day, and I just wanna, I just wanna dispel it, um, that our game biologists or the, the game division staff may inflate quotas in anticipation of the CABs recommending lower quotas. And I want to assure you that we will never recommend a higher quota in an effort to predict a lower cab recommendation. To the contrary, many times we select a more conservative quota in areas that we know the cabs will, will disagree with. And part of that comes from the, the demand success formula and, and you know, things that, that um, you saw yesterday. Our desire is to allow more people to participate by issuing uh, tags and that's the, the, one of the main reasons why you see increased quota recommendations. Um, but most importantly, from my perspective, is our commitment to provide you with sound recommendations to maintain a quality hunt. So with that, I, will, um, I, I, would, I think that we are gonna start with antelope and I will pass it along to Cody Schroeder, unless anybody has any questions. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Any questions for Mr. Scott before we get started with antelope? Okay, seeing none. Go ahead, Mr. Schroeder. All right, um, you all hear me? Yes. Okay, um, Madam Chair, East members of the commission, uh, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity uh, to speak with you today. Um, I got a brief presentation before we get into antelope. Um, I think we're just, the plan is just to go in order since antelope are first, I'll, I'll be up. Um, just wanted to kind of follow up with a little bit of conversation that we had yesterday and tell you all that I really appreciate the questions that we received. There were great questions, great conversation. Um, I have some additional just kind of follow up slides that that are in reference to some of the stuff we went through yesterday in hindsight maybe i should have had them in the presentation yesterday but um kind of had tried to focus on the the quota development process but we got into body condition and some of these other things that that, that i'm going to present today uh, and then following that i just have some just a few brief slides kind of specific to antelope quota recommendations so i'm going to just gonna start with uh sharing my screen And can you all see my presentation? Okay, great, see some nods. Yes. 
All right, so I'm gonna just briefly touch on some of the aspects of uh, nutrition and body condition as it pertains to ungulates. And it really, it's really going to apply to all of our ungulate species. So, you know, not just antelope, but mule deer, elk, bighorn, sheep, um, just kind of some general stuff. And I, I have uh, covered this material before with the commission, but it's been, you know, it's been a few years now, uh, but it, like I said, it kind of pertains to some of our um, our conversations yesterday. So I'm going to start off right here with this sort of classic uh, paper from the Wildlife Society Bulletin from 1978, and it's it's this is one of the figures from there. It's kind of cartoonish, but I I think it I feel like it really kind of portrays some of the the topics well in in this graphic. So. The title of this paper is Sledding on a Brushy Hillside, The Fat Cycle in Deer. But again, it could apply to not just mule deer, but all, all ungulates. So, you know, where we're starting on this kind of conversation, this is these are different planes of nutrition throughout the season. So summer, <clears throat> summer range, summer nutrition is very, very important for, for ungulates. Okay, that's when one of the times that they have their highest energy demands. Um, they're lactating, they're growing tissues. Um, later in the year, they're gonna be entering breeding activities. So they have a high energetic demand. So that's kind of displayed here in climbing up this hill with their sleds. The goal is to get as high as they can on the hill, okay? And some of this food, the food, the, high, the quality of the food is going to aid in their ascent. The higher, the better the quality of food, the higher they can get, okay? They're also going to be provisioning offspring, the does are during this time, or antlers for, for, for males. And so they have this kind of conflicting demand and, and resource issue. Um, as we get farther on down to the, at the end of the summer and into fall, those energy demands are still high uh, because we have the breeding season going on. But this is really the point in time where they have the least load. So they're, they're the fattest, they're the best condition because they're preparing themselves at this point for winter. And again, the higher on the hill they get, as you can kind of probably guess going down the, the slide, the better off they're gonna be. But they're also competing with, with each other, okay, on these, on these. And the more animals you have, obviously, that, and with a limited amount of food, you know, they have to disperse that, that nutrition amongst themselves. So there's competition going on. As we progress down, we get to the winter season and that's where you know, forage availability is going to be just uh, of super importance. Okay, so that's when the deer in this cartoonish example start sledding down this hill. And what slows their descent is basically how much food they have available. Okay, so that's winter forage conditions. And again, they're competing with, with each other. At this point in time, Males and females are together, oftentimes in big, large groups. They're constrained on winter range, and so they're, they're competing with each other. The higher they were on the hill, the better off they're going to be. But also, just this, the amount of food that's available is going to help them slow their descent down the hill. As we progress towards spring, that is probably the crucial time. Okay, So this is denoted here in these uh, cartoonish deer falling off up this cliff, so to speak, to their death, okay? And that's the point where they hit, they're generally in their lowest body condition coming out of winter. And if they don't have the appropriate resources and they have harsh conditions, 
they can actually, you know, go off the edge of the cliff, the nutritional cliff, so to speak, and, and die. And that's where we see starvation, malnutrition. We see, you know, fawns dying and even adult does dying in some years. To further kind of get at this point, I wanted to discuss this, uh, this study that was conducted because it's going to be the underpinning of some of these graphs that I'm going to show you and talk about carrying capacity. There was quite a few questions yesterday about carrying capacity, how we define it, how we know when we're there. This was a study done on white-tailed deer by uh, Dale McCullough. He published a book on it. And they had an opportunity to, uh, in a sort of an enclosure uh, scenario, manipulate densities of deer. So they, they reduced populations down to very, very low densities, around 10 individuals, 10 adult females in this small enclosure. And then they progressively allowed the densities to increase. And while they were doing that, they were collecting very high detailed uh, data on reproduction, nutritional condition, body condition, age throughout the study. Uh, and then they developed these, these models um, called Ricker models uh, off after a fisheries biologist actually um, about population growth and harvest. So this is kind of one of the first um, graphs that I'm gonna show you. So this is a recruitment number. Um, in this case, it's the number of young, but you could think of this as also as a ratio, um, such as, you know, you hear us reference the fawn to adult ratio in relation to population size. So think about a population size to start off with, it's very low, maybe it's an introduced population on an island or something like that. It starts off very small. It's going to experience growth, very productive, but you have a small population size up until a point where we get to this point called maximum MSY or maximum sustained yield. Okay, and it's reasons called maximum sustained yield. These fisheries biologists that developed a lot of these theoretical models wanted to figure out how they could harvest the maximum amount of fishery, fish from ocean stocks, but still have a sustainable population that would, you know, breed and reproduce the next year. That's what they were really trying to just ultimately maximize the harvest as best they could and figure out mathematically how they could do that. As we get down towards the figure, this is K, carrying capacity, carrying capacity. That is basically the point where this population is gonna max out, okay? It's not gonna grow anymore. And we see characteristics of these populations having low productivity, low reproductive rate. You'll tend to see skinnier animals in poor condition, coats that don't look great as opposed to the other end of the spectrum where we see in some species, uh, twins or triplets, indicators of you know, really high uh, nutritional plane, antler growth that's really, that's really, really above average for males. And this relates to what we kind of talked about yesterday as well. I believe there was a question from Commissioner Cavilia about you know, compensatory versus additive mortality. So we can define additive mortality as just simply add mortality that's added to other types of mortality. Uh, so we have predation, could be road hit mortality, harvest, all these things are additive um, versus compensatory is a form of mortality where one form is compensated for by another. An example of this might be you could have harvest instead of starvation. And another way you might think of compensatory mortality is uh, if you remove one individual,
from the population from say harvest. You're giving the chance for another individual to actually make it through the year and, and, and survive through the year. As opposed to if you didn't have that harvest, if you, did, if you just let mother nature run its course, you might lose both of those individuals in, in a certain conditions. So this is again, uh, the same figure with a little bit added um, information on here. So again, MSY is the peak of this parabolic graph. So this is recruitment number. Again, think of this as fawns. This is the absolute number of fawns in relation to population, but you could also think of it as, as a, a ratio. This dotted line is going to be the number that were attempted recruits. Okay, so now we're adding in uh, doe pregnancy rates. Oftentimes, particularly with mule deer and antelope, they have, you know, they, they conceive twins, but they may not um, actually deliver uh, those twins, or if they do deliver them, you know, one might survive and one might not. And so then we go further down the, the, the graph here, and this is the actual number that's recruited in the population by the time they're, you know, a year old. The reason this is popular, this, the reason this is important is this, this kind of maximum sustained yield right here is basically the point in a, in a theoretical mathematical framework where we would see additive mortality on the left-hand side or compensatory mortality on the right-hand side. Okay, so if we're down here and our populations are at low size and high and, and recruitment rate is in population rate is increasing, mortality tends to be additive. Okay, so things like predation and harvest tend to be additive. When we're on this side of the graph, mortality tends to be compensatory. In other words, uh, removing animals from predator work or harvest or road mortality or things like that are essentially just gonna be compensatory because a portion of those animals, the same portion of those animals were, are going to, are expected to die of natural causes anyway. And so, you know, the question, there was a question yesterday about how do you carry, how do you account for carrying capacity in, uh, models. And, and the answer that I gave was, you know, we really don't have a good way. There's no model that, at least the ones that we're using now, that, that really have just a number. There's not a number that we come up with. But there are these characteristics. So I pulled this out of uh, a manuscript from my advisor, Terry Boyer. Um, this has been published many times in different journals. But these are just characteristics of populations in general when we see things that, or populations that are either below maximum sustained yield in red here, or populations that are at or near K. First one being nutritional condition of adult females. They tend to be better in populations that are below carrying capacity, as you would expect, poor in populations near carrying capacity. Pregnancy rates of adult females tend to be higher when they're below maximum sustained yield, and lower at populations near K. You can have pauses in annual reproduction by females. This is oftentimes more characteristic in elk than it is deer, but it's very less likely when they're lower. They have, uh, you know, they have uh, young every year when they're below maximum sustained yield compared to when they're at carrying capacity. They may, they may skip a year or two of reproduction because their bodies just can't simply mount enough effort 
to, to, get, to get pregnant and maintain that fetus. Yearlings pregnant, this, is, this came out of the George Reserve deer herd where when they had very low densities, they saw a very high proportion of yearlings becoming pregnant. And it's very typical below carrying capacity, but it's seldom at, at K. Age at first re reproduction, again, these vary between, depending on which you know, ungulate, your, ungulate species you're talking about. You know, mountain goats tend to be a lot higher for this one. White-tailed deer and even mule deer can have young at, at one year of age or even fawns. It's been documented in fawns for white-tailed deer before they reach a year. Much younger at age of first reproduction when populations are below and older. They might be two years old or three before they can mount uh, uh, first reproduction when they're at carrying capacity. These last three are very important. Weight of neonates tends to be heavier in populations below MSY and lighter when they're at K. So we can measure this thing. We can measure these if we go out and capture animals. And survivorship of young. So that's where our recruitment rates, the data we collect um, come into play, tends to be additive at below maximum sustained yield and compensatory when we're at populations near K. And then this one is one that's kind of getting more uh, attention lately. It's been known for you know, a long time that age tooth wear can be very important. And it tends to be the age at which we see extensive tooth wear tends to be older in populations that are below carrying capacity and much younger in populations that are near K. And so that's something we're kind of exploring. Pat Jackson talked about it yesterday, but we, we kind of want to explore that, you know, where we can in the future. So those are kind of some of the characteristics. I just want to get some kind of more of the theoretical stuff, look at a little bit of some, some actual examples from the, from the literature. So this is a, a figure from a publication uh, from David Stoner at Utah State University. He looked at... Uh, NDVI across the Great Basin. Okay, so NDVI is basically greenness. Okay, it's measuring from satellites in space the, the greenness in plant material. It's short for normalized difference veg vegetation index. So this is the mean over a 14 year period. You can see several patterns here. Obviously the Great Basin parts of Nevada are very you know, brown compared to uh, you know, other parts of the West, the Rocky Mountains. Um, for instance, but within Nevada, you see these higher pockets of higher productivity. These are generally speaking higher elevations where we receive lots more moisture in the form of snow or rain. And the reason this is, this is important is because what Mr. Stoner did was compare, he took data from agencies from Utah and Nevada and Colorado and related these this NDVI with productivity. So he looked at deer density and he also compared with fawn ratio. This is uh, normalized difference vegetation index on the x-axis and mule deer density, uh, square root of mule deer density to flatten out uh, the relationship on the y-axis. And it was a very tight correlation, okay? And all this is saying is basically what most of you probably already know, that mule deer abundance increases with primary productivity. And the way that one of the ways that we have measured that is through satellite images of normalized difference vegetation index. These are these panels on the right are just kind of characteristics of you know, high productive uh, 
brush zones, oak brush zones, I think in this case with a much more arid dry, uh, you know, habitat type such as maybe the, the Mojave Desert or southern end of the Great Basin where we see just lower productivity and we see fewer deer in general in those areas. But what he did with this model is he predicted mule deer abundance in these different areas in relation to this satellite imagery. And what a few things that pop out to me are just overall, if you look at, you know, the, the abundance of Nevada, which is the higher abundances in red color compared to blue, comparatively across the West, we are much lower um, as you would expect because of the uh, differences in just productive habitats that we see in the Rockies, for instance, in Utah, Colorado, parts of Arizona. We are in the rain shadow of the Sierra Nevada, uh, but we do have these higher elevation productivity areas. So some of the, some of the Sierra Nevada, the Ruby Mountains, the Shell Creek Range, for instance, the Jarbage Mountains, we see these pockets of high elevation, high productivity areas where we expect this high mule deer abundance. And that's what we see in our population estimates. These are directly reflective of our population estimates and our productivity. I want to kind of bring this further home, this point home. So we started catching mule deer back in 2011. Um, this was part of my PhD dissertation. When we first started, we captured deer in uh, three different areas to start out with in Nevada. We, we caught does and fawns. We captured over 700 mule deer. We collected very detailed data on those, similar to what they had in the white-tailed deer study, the George Reserve Deer Herd Study. We, calculated or we um, measured their weight, their body condition using an ultrasound machine, their body size, we collected metrics, blood and other things and attached collars to monitor their survival. And one of the things that we saw was that there was a strong effect of body condition on survival. And this was true of both adults and fawns. It was definitely more pronounced in fawns as you would expect than it was in the adults in terms of survival because there's more variation in, in, inherently in fawn survival. Adult survival tends to be fairly high just in general, but we also did see differences between males and females. But the important point here that I want to kind of make is this is relative a relative body mass index. So animals that were in poor condition and the farther you were from the mean, the lower your survival was both um, for adults and fawns. Animals that tended to be in good condition, again, from this measure of body fat or, or a body mass index, similar to the, the human body mass index, tended to be, have higher survival. And those, the interesting point there between uh, the males and females is that those, those, uh, that body condition effect tend to mitigate, mitigate after a point in time. So male and female survival tended to overlap more. You didn't see as much of a difference in animals that were in very good body condition. And finally, I just kind of want to make this point. Um, so you're going to hear a lot today about alternative recommendations regarding doe quotas for at least for antelope horn short of the years and for mule deer. Um, I pulled these two examples from two areas that were ha we've had fairly aggressive doe harvest. Um, the top panel here is from area six, 061064. These are the years. This data you can also look at in your 
quota recommendation form. So I just pulled this right off of our forms, the support material that we, that we provided. This population on the top here, the area six, we are estimated around 1,400. Um, it's increased a little bit. Here are the tags issued, 160, 170, 170. We've issued 510 doe tags and harvested 341 does just in the last three years out of a population that we're estimating around 1,500. Here's our fawn ratio, our observed fawn ratio. Um, you can see this one is on an increasing trend really high and our four-year average is well, well above the state average. It's one of the only ones that, you know, Mike Scott mentioned that we are experiencing low recruitment in a lot of areas and that, that has to do with, um, or that's affecting our, some of these lowering of quotas that we were suggesting. But in these two examples, you know, we're really high. We're above the statewide average. Below that is area 14 and 15. Uh, we manage that or we model that together, but it's hunt unit groups 141, 143, 151, and 156. It's actually two separate units. Here we have a population estimate where we started out around 3,400 in 2018. We've issued 1,430 doe tags, and we've harvested 950 does just in the last three years in this population of 4,000 that we're estimating now. That's a very, very aggressive harvest rate. I think we were estimating between 18 and 20% is what our targeted harvest rate was in, in this population. And again, we see high fawn ratios. We did have this dip, um, but overall we're looking at a very strong three-year average on our fawn ratio. So I just wanna point that out as an example of when we're talking about you know, cutting some doe quotas and why do we have doe quotas to begin with that it's gonna to contribute to you know, a declining population? We are managing these herds, trying to manage them within the carrying capacity of the landscape. So just a few uh, kind of common trends uh, before we get into the quotas. Here's our statewide population estimate for, for antelope going back to the early 80s. They've been doing really well in general, uh, partially, from you know, our efforts of you know, expanding them, introducing them to different areas, but also just them pioneering on their own and doing really well. We have seen a little bit of dip in recent, the last two years, again, due to um, overall on a statewide level, poor, poor fawn recruitment, we think related to drought conditions. Uh, we do track buck or horn length as uh, we talked about yesterday. We just use this 15 inch horn length is kind of a general metric to track, you know, age structure, uh, 15 inch roughly corresponds to 80, 80 inch uh, Boone and Crockett score. But overall we're, you know, we're pretty solid. We're generally between 25 and 35% of the harvest, which is really strong. So some of our objectives that are slightly different for antelope, uh, we only really have standard units um, and we're managing at 25 bucks per hundred does. And we're, we're looking at that ratio as the two-year-old and older. Um, slightly different than mule deer. And the reason for that is the, this structure that we have with horns longer than ears and horns shorter than ears. 
you know, it's possible that you can have yearling bucks in that horn shorter than ears category. So we're really talking about just the, the mature segment of the buck harvest. Those are our management objectives for bucks for pretty much all of our units. And then we have these doe um, harvest strategies um, here below, where we're looking at population size and trends in uh, observed fawn ratios. So this is just kind of the final slide I have, just summarizing everything. This is just basically a total, total of the recommendations that we have by weapon class. Um, we're looking at 2,490 total tags, uh, dispersed as evenly as we can across between non-residents and residents. Uh, we have added these new muzzleloader tags in some areas, and, and we we current or we didn't have uh, non-resident muzzleloader tags previously. So we're looking at just a few nine tags there um, with these muzzle with non non-resident muzzleloader tags, and then horn shorter than ears. Uh, again, statewide, we're looking at uh, just shy of a thousand um, deer tags, or I'm sorry, doe tags, horn shorter than ears tags statewide. And this is just kind of summarizing that breakdown between resident and non-resident. We try to get this as close to 90-10 as possible. Uh, however, it can, it can prove uh, difficult with some of the areas that we have, you know, lower quotas. Uh, we just don't have enough tags to go around to kind of disperse them 90-10 across the weapon classes. So I'm gonna stop sharing that and pause for any questions. And I can, before we actually get into the quota, um, you know, I have the CR up. Uh, it, I would just ask that, you know, what's the preference of Chairwoman East if we want to kind of go through, go through the quotas, uh, you know, individually or talk about them all at once, um, or if there's any questions about some of the material I just covered, I'd be happy to answer those as well. Okay, let's let's do questions first. Any questions for Mr. Schroeder? Commissioner Hubs? So um, basically that was very informative as to why populations may be um, growing or in decline. I really enjoyed that. But from the data, I just want to go uh, over this. So I have down for the for two consecutive years of lower than average fun recruitment results in the declining population trend and a reduction in older age class bucks available for harvest in future years. So at this point in time, the state of Nevada is below the recruitment ratio necessary for herd growth, correct? For the record, uh, Cody Schroeder. Let's see, it says I'm still muted. Can you all hear me? No, you're, you, we can hear you. Okay. Um, so yeah, on, that's again on a statewide level. I, I think that is true, but on a given hunt unit, that that may differ. Like the examples I showed. Okay. So just from a statewide perspective, um, there's declining population trends, but in certain areas, they are increasing and then decreasing. Should we yeah. consider the overall state population or simply stick to the hunt units when making our decisions based on your expertise as a biologist? I, I, would, I would 
stick to the hunt unit population estimates. I, I simply show the statewide trend just to kind of show uh, just something we do every year, I guess, maybe more of a tradition to see where we're at kind of on a grand level. But, but yeah, the quotas that we develop are based on an individual unit. So we do use the population estimate for a particular unit to base our quotas off. And those, you know, some of them are up, but, but a lot of them are down. And then for the bucks, um, you know, the reason that, that some of these are, you know, because we are looking at par fairly significant reductions already um, that we're recommending is based on, you know, recruitment or recruitment from the last couple of years uh, affecting that two-year-old, two-year-old and older part of the buck segment. Is there anything else outside of your report that you're concerned about with the antelope populations and their numbers? Um, I mean, certainly, you know, the effects of this drought and really where we're at right now, it's kind of, we're kind of, I don't know, just in limbo. I mean, I definitely have concerns uh, because the projections don't look good going through the summer, uh, especially some of the areas that are a little bit more harder hit, like parts of southern Nevada, southeastern Nevada, as you get down towards Las Vegas and eastern Nevada, you know, those drought impacts have been even more drastic. So we could be looking at you know, water availability potentially as being a limiting factor for some of those herds, but it's really not something that we can, we can control at this point, nor predict really. Um, we could have summer rains and maybe mitigate some of those. Um, outside of that, I don't have, you know, overall uh, populations are very, very adapted at these conditions. Pronghorn in particular um, have a propensity to, to, rapidly increase they have high 20 rates when conditions are good so they can rebound fairly quickly in favorable conditions hope that answers your question mm -hmm. okay anyone else i thought i saw somebody else's hand up commissioner yeah thank you madam chair and mr schroeder so do i have my math right that we're the quotas were presented this year about 2,500. And looking at the big game status book, it was 4,300 tags issued last year. So it's a reduction in 1,800 tags statewide. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm just looking at my uh, kind of summary sheet. So last year there were, uh, that might be a misprint. I, I'm showing that there were a little over 4,000 approved last year, mm -hmm. 4,326 total. And we're recommending about 3,465 this year. So it's about a 20% uh, reduction. Okay, either way, that was a big number. I thought that slide showed 2,400, but I must have read that wrong. And no, ball, you mentioned, but, he mentioned 2,490. So is that a particular hunt group, Mr. Um, I'm not sure where the 2,490 came from. Was that in my slide? Yeah. Yeah. The, there's also in the summary for the species. At the beginning of your summary, yeah. That's, oh yeah, so that's not including um, the horn shorter than ears tags. Uh, oh. I, I, the reason for that is just to kind of show, so we 
in order to kind of look at the non-resident resident split because we don't offer non-resident horns shorter than years tags. Just kind of wanted to show the difference between the, uh, the that, that is a misleading uh, slide. I apologize for that. Um, the total, I think, if I'm, if I'm looking at the right number is, we're looking at 3,465 total tags this year, if, including the horn shorter than years. Okay. Sure, still a pretty good decrease. So maybe just to follow yes. up to that, that the parabolic chart demonstrated the compensatory loss is only a factor when at maximum sustained yield. So does the quota, is the objective to grow the herd? And obviously it's different unit by unit, but uh, is the objective in a lot of the quotas to increase that population, which we hear a lot of public comment about, or do we believe that some of these areas are at maximum sustaining yield. And it would just be beneficial, I think, for the entirety of today's discussions to kind of have what that objective is in the quota that you're rec recommending based on. Yeah, Commissioner Keel, uh, for the record, Cody Schroeder. So, you know, just in general, um, I would say that where, where we have the two examples that I showed are probably where we're really trying to manage on the on the left-hand side of that curve, really, uh, to try to curb growth, herd growth. Um, a lot of the quotas for does in particular are were well below that. Um, populations, you know, they may be closer to carrying capacity, and, and honestly, we probably should be re recommending more doe quotas in, in other areas, in my opinion. Um, but it's not something that we necessarily particularly factor in. Uh, we don't, like I said, on a unit by unit level, we're not looking at a certain um, number to, for a carrying capacity. It's more, we use a, the percentage of the doe harvest rate in, to come up with our um, doe harvest quotas. Um, they're, they're, they tend to be on the conservative side um, and, and probably more so than they should be. Yeah, fair enough. It's just, it's helpful to me when I think about this is if the quota that's proposed, if you think that then, um, but yeah, just understanding the thought, the thought Okay. So I just wanted to clarify, if I might, Chairwoman East, in terms of the drought um, that we're experiencing, I think conceptually it would be good for all of us to really talk about the drought. Um, it sounds like that, obviously, lack of water leads to lack of resources, lack of vegetation. And as we saw from the slides, that can impact the herd growth um, because of the health and vigor of all of the animals that are subjected to the environment. So I know we were saying the water levels in Southern Nevada and Eastern Nevada were bad. How were the water levels, I mean, elsewhere across the state? Yeah, so uh, Commissioner Hubs, um, 
if you read, so I think we kind of covered this in our status book, but, uh, but in general, just going off of memory, the northern part of the state tended to be, and even the center part of the state tended to be a little better off, particularly the higher elevations um, in terms of snowpack and, and even just moisture. So areas like uh, you know, some of the higher elevations in central Nevada, like the Toyabis received, I think close to average, some of northern Nevada, um, you know, in areas like parts of Humboldt County, for instance, received fairly close to normal precipitation. Um, the Sierra Nevada was, I think, I mean, from memory, ski reports were, I don't know, 50 to 60% of average snowpack, so we're definitely lower there. Um, but I can tell you just from kind of looking at the drought monitor and the drought predictions that it's, it's more dire in <clears throat> eastern and southern Nevada than it is in the north part of the state. Okay, any other questions for Cody? Oh, Commissioner Hubs. Oh, I was just going to say, I just wanted to keep that in mind when we're looking at all the numbers, right? Like where the hunt units are and why they may vary, you know, over, over the state, like decreases and increases. So, or, or, you know, putting together the same year around the same um, quota numbers from last year. I just think it's important to understand that, um, there are changes in certain portions of the state. So when we're looking at the recommendations from um, variation from what's been depicted by the department, we should consider the drought, that's all. Okay, thank you. Secretary Wasley. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I just wanna go back to Commissioner Keel's question. I, I think that's a really, really excellent point um, where you, know, you can talk about managing for populations, maximum populations, or you can talk about managing for, you know, quality experience and uh, herd health and having things in, in balance with, with the habitat. Um, I think some of the assumptions that, that drive some of the comments and some of the alternate recommendations are, are built around the idea that if there are more animals out there, uh, that there are going to be more uh, large bucks, or that if we allow animals to live to an older age, that they're going to have larger antlers as a result of being an older aged animal. But if we go back to that graph that Cody showed, and we talk about those characteristics of populations um, you know, below MSY or above MSY, um, you think about uh, twinning or, or tripling, uh, those two examples that he showed with, with antelope in the central part of the state, we have populations that are grow aren't <clears throat> necessarily uh, bursting at the seams, but have incredible high fawn ratios at over 60. One of them was at 67, I think the other was at 60 in the most recent year. Um, so we have incredible high fawn ratios, and those fawn ratios are a byproduct of body condition. And we know that whether it's horn growth or antler growth is also a product of body condition. Um, I know one particular study that showed that a 5% reduction in body weight due to food limitation translated to a 50% reduction in antler volume. So in some ways, if we manage for populations and we're trying to maximize the number on the landscape, 
what we're going to risk is the quality of the experience, the quality of the animals, the number of fawns produced. And again, it's, it's sometimes counterintuitive. And when we compare uh, historic numbers, it, it's not a, a fair or reasonable expectation to compare numbers in the 80s that resulted from three back-to-back -back years in an El Nino event to what we're looking at now with you know, catastrophic drought and extreme drought covering the majority of the state. So I, I think Commissioner Keel's question is, is really key to a lot of discussions today. Is it about maximizing the number of animals on the landscape or maximizing production, uh, the relationship between the herd and the habitat and the quality of the animals that are in that, that population? And it goes back to the one point I made yesterday that it's counterintuitive that fewer animals can make more Bonds, but that's that's exactly um, the point. So thanks for asking that question, Commissioner Keel, and thank you, Madam Chair. Mm -hmm. Vice Chair Barnes, just to uh, just to tag on a little bit to what uh, Director Wasley had to say. We talk about horn quality, um, and, it, and it's a point I've had um, discussion with with a few other individuals over the last couple of years. That you know, as sportsmen and stuff, we want to be able to go out and a lot of how we define a, a high quality hunt is the number of animals we see and the number of high quality animals we see and, and what we can harvest. But as you look at the quality of the uh, hunter today compared to say 20, 25 years ago with, with all the technology we have, the high quality optics we use, um, the time we spent scouting um, and whatnot, you know, a lot of these, these higher quality animals um, are being found as compared to say 20, 25 years ago when, you know, you had your tag and, and you, you grabbed your, you know, your rifle and your, and, and the, the scope you had that maybe wasn't the quality now, and you just went out and, and started hunting. You know, we didn't, we didn't do all the scouting. And so a lot of these, these higher quality animals are probably being taken now more so compared to uh, 20, 25 years ago. So that as we, as we look at, at these quotas and and the sports where everybody wants this the high quality but but we're looking at we're at kind of a different scenario um now compared to uh like say 20 25 years ago so i think uh, it's just something that i know that that i keep in mind and because i i think you know if we have if we have more bucks on the landscape we're going to have we're going to have bigger bucks but but with the hunters now um that's not necessarily the case so that's just something um I guess that I'm, I keep in mind. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Okay. So Mr. Schroeder, let's proceed into, I think we'll start with any legal weapon first and go through the any legal weapon, um, horns longer than ears on resident and non-resident, and then we'll we'll take our public comment and come back and do the other open classes. Okay, Chairwoman East, um, would you like me to, I could share my screen of the, the CR just so we're looking at, you know, we can kind of follow that way, or would you just like to me to discuss them? I'm not quite sure how to proceed here. I, I think it would be helpful for you to, I, we all have this, but maybe for us to see your screen. Does that make sense for everybody? Yeah. No one's no one's agreeing or not agreeing. So, 
Oh, okay. Mr. Rogers agreed. <laughs> okay, so you should be able to see now, I believe, uh, the CR 21-14. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So we can start off here with our resident antelope uh, horned longer than ears. Okay. An illegal weapon. And what you're looking at, basically, the black column with 21, 20, 21 quota recommendation is what, uh, you know, that's what we're recommending. And this is what basically was just was approved last year. Okay, great. So because I can't see all of you, just go ahead and speak up if you want to suggest changes. So I'll start. I, I went through the CAB recommendations that were received and um, it looks like Washoe County suggested 75 uh, in 015 and Humboldt suggested 55 in 043 to 046. That was it in this category. I did not see Pershing said they disagreed, but I didn't get any numbers. I didn't see any numbers. So I'm going to ask them when we open this up to public comment um, to give us some feedback. Um, but those are the those were the suggested changes. Oh wait, mineral. Oh I'm sorry, hang on. Oh, that's horns longer than yours, archery. We're on any legal weapon. Okay, so anybody have any other thoughts, suggestions? Madam Chair, um, I just- Yes. On, you had mentioned unit 043 through 046. I'm sorry, what yes. was the cab recommendation? 50 something? 50. 55. 55, thank you. Okay, anybody else have? I guess, um, what is the department? I mean, Humboldt's asking for a basic, a 50% reduction of proposed. That's, that's not minor by any means. Um, what are the department's thoughts on that? Thank you, Ms. Commissioner Cavillia, for the record, that was Commissioner. If you could just state for the record, just I know that we're, we can see you, but um, if you could just state, since I can't see you, Paul. Mr. Schroeder? Yeah, for the record, uh, Cody Schroeder, staff specialist. Um, so yeah, thanks for the question, uh, Commissioner Cavillia. So, I mean, I'm just gonna kind of make this statement in general for all these recommendations, but um, you know, some of them are minor. Um, as Mike Scott alluded to, they're probably not biologically significant. A 50% reduction really is biologically um, in my mind, not a sound recommendation and there's no real basis for it that I can tell. I, I don't know where the 50% comes from. I don't know if they have a different, you know, population objective or, or buck to doe ratio that they're, they're shooting for, but those are our best, you know, uh, best recommendations for a responsible quota. So that is a big one. I certainly wouldn't support that. You know, some of the, the smaller, um, Changes probably aren't biologically going to mean anything, but it could mean, you know, the difference between somebody getting a tag and going hunting or not. So socially, I would say it, it is a big, any change is a big difference. 
Madam Chair, if I may. Yes, Mr. Scott. Um, Mike Scott, for the record. Um, yeah, and looking at the the their justification, uh, Humboldt County recommended that decrease due to a declining population. But uh, if you if you look, the population actually is an increasing population. So I'm not sure what what we have um, where the disconnect is there, but that population is actually um, estimated to be increasing. So I, 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 if there's somebody from Humboldt County, um, they're certainly welcome to, to speak to that, but um, we're showing an increase in that population. Okay. Yeah, Madam Chair, uh, this is Cody McKee, staff specialist for the record. I, it, I'd like to kind of just build off of Mr. Schroeder and Mr. Scott's comments, if I may. Mm -hmm. Please. So this particular hunt that we're talking about, 043 to 046, um, we spent a tremendous amount of time yesterday discussing our harvest metrics, how the, that information is collected, the exceptionally high reporting rate that we get. Um, as you saw in the recommendation, there's no change from 2020 to 2021 in our recommendations. When we go back and look at the, the um, metrics that came out of this hunt last year for residents, mm -hmm. there was an 88% success rate. So 88% of those 110 hunters harvested, 26% of those hunters harvested uh, bucks that had horns that were 15 inches or longer. And so again, as we, we talked about, um, those length metrics are our relative representation of age structure in the population. Um, for reference, the statewide average was 27%. And if we look at uh, this unit group, combined with all the other hunts within the unit group for antelope buck with our non-residents and muzzleloader, it was 27% combined. So um, hunt days are, are low. Um, overall effort is consistent with statewide averages and the hunter satisfaction was 4.6 out of five. Um, if I'm just looking at harvest statistics without any other information at hand, it, it's to me, I don't personally see a need to make any changes to, to our recommended quotas, especially considering we're leaving them the same as they were last year. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Mr. McKee. Anybody else have thoughts or questions on any legal weapon 2151 or 2251? Commissioner Cavilia? Uh, yeah, Commissioner Cavilia, uh, I would just hope that when it goes out to comment for the Cavs that uh, we humble can give us an explanation of, of why they want to go down because that is a drastic difference. So, Madam Chair, Dave McMinch. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, I didn't have, um, I'm sure I got it, but I sure didn't print it out. Um, Cody, do you have the ELCO recommendations for? Uh, I'm sorry, that's just for uh, horns shorter than ears. We'll get to that in a minute. Never mind, I'm a little premature. Thank you. That's okay. Commissioner Rogers had his hand up as well. Yeah, uh, Commissioner Rogers, I just, a couple of things. One um, uh, was just addressed about the, the cab addressing that 50% that reduction. And then also I noticed there was a, a big drop in unit 111 through 114, a 70% decrease. I read the 
the recommendation with the pond recruitment and the, the drought conditions. I was just curious, and I don't have it in front of me, what the CABS, White Pine County CABS recommendation was for 111 through 114. I don't believe they had one, but ask them to. Madam Chair. Yes, Mr. Scott. Mike Scott, for the record. Um, I received their uh, White Pines um, recommendation form this morning. Um, I submitted it to Missy to um, as support material. Um, and I'm just trying to see, they don't have, they are in support of all of the resident antelope, uh, non-resident antelope um, recommendations. That's what I found too when I went through it. Okay. Unless we have other comments, I'm going to take this out for public comment. We're taking public comment from CABS first. So any other commissioner comments or staff? Okay, seeing none. Uh, Mr. Green from Carson. Go ahead, Mr. Green. Can anyone else understand Mr. Green or is it my connection? No, okay, Mr. Green, um, we can't understand you. You're Maybe, uh, why don't we come back to Mr. Green um, and go to Mr. Gildone? Sorry, Mr. Green. Can we please mute Mr. Green and go to Mr. Gildone? Thank you. Is Mr. Gildone joining us or are we going to someone next? No longer has a hand up. Okay, Mr. Uh, there we go. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can, thank you. All right, this is Tony Gildon for the record, Humboldt County Cab. Um, I, first of all, I'd like to say that this motion um, was, I guess the correct words is heavily contentious conversation on this um, motion to lower the tag quotas in 043 through 046. It was a split decision was not passed unanimously by any means in the Humboldt County meeting. I think the logic behind it was uh, some of the cab members felt that it was a very large unit that could hold more animals um, and that they wanted to see less tags in order to grow the population and potentially have a trophy 
unit um, in future years in the state. I think part of the, maybe part of the problem um, was that this unit is managed by the Fallon biologist who was not present in our meeting, so could not answer. We couldn't get kind of carrying capacity questions answered. Um, so that's kind of the, the background. Um, and I guess all I have to say about the, that motion, thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, next we'll go to Mr. Robinson. Okay, Madam Chair and Commission, this is Steve Robinson. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can, thank, thank you. you. I wanted to start by apologizing that we did not uh, get you guys our recommendations in, a, in the online form. I wasn't aware of that until last night that it wasn't submitted. So we'll try to do better in the future. Um, at our CAD meeting, we were fortunate to have Mike Scott, Cody Schroeder, Cooper Munson, and Johnny Vonick um, present to answer our questions, which we really appreciate them taking their time out and, and answering all of our questions. And just to let you all know that we did run all of our recommendations by the biologists and they did not have a problem with any of the recommendations that we had. Um, our only recommendation for resident antelope, any legal weapon hunt is in area 015 to keep 75 tags as last year, the current recommendation is 70. Our reasoning for that, if you look in the status book, it says for 2021, the tag quotas for this hunt unit should be like the 2020 season due to the continued increasing trend in this population. Increased buck quality should also be observed as the population continues to thrive. So that's our justification for that. And we would just like it to be as last year. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Robinson. Um, I, I'm not aware of who Shannon is, but if you're a CAB member, go ahead and speak. If you're not, we're taking CAB comment first. So if, if Shannon is a CAB member, go ahead and let her in him. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. I'm, this is Giovanni Giordano, Madam Chairman, with Humboldt oh. County Board. It's under my wife's email. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Giovanni. <laughs> I'd just like to go on record. Um, under Humboldt County Advisory Board, 035 um, populations, I, I hear that we're on, it shows that we have an increase of numbers, which I strongly, strongly disagree with. Um, I can personally go out amongst our farm and the mountain range behind us. We do not have the animals that they are suggesting that we do have. We need to get a better look, a better grasp on this because the numbers are not there to justify these tag increases. And we may have overshot a little. Mr. Giordano, we're on um, antelope and you're, are you speaking to antelope or are you speaking to some another species? And we've lost you. Okay, we'll come back to Mr. Giordano. Let's um, hear from Mr. Krim. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, thank you. 
Okay, to answer your first question, Madam Chairman, uh -huh. we, we had a couple of spots on the, the on the survey where we disagreed. Uh -huh. well, when we fill out that survey, you can only agree or disagree. You cannot leave any blanks on that survey. So in the future, that'd be great if we could change that because we normally only talk about the animals in our county and nobody else's. Okay. So, so when you see me where I show it disagreeing, mm -hmm. technically that was for the you hunts and for the doe hunts and that kind of thing, because I have no other option but to agree. And I can't do that because my cab will blow a gasket at me. So, all right, now on to the antelope. Do you have changes to or suggested no. changes to horns longer than ears and illegal weapon? No, I have no suggested changes. What I'm going to say is our biologist is out of Fallon. Kyle came to our meeting and everything that he told us about that herd on that side was just, we felt it was justified. So that's why we agreed with the mm -hmm. department recommendations on what Kyle had put forward. So that's where we stand on that is we agree with the department recommendations. Thank you, Mr. Krim. Thank you. Okay, can we go back to see if we can um, speak with uh, Mr. Giordano, please? Has he got found a better connection to us? Mr. Giordano, can you hear us? Okay. All right, we cannot hear him. So are there any other CAB members that wish to speak to hunt units uh, to, or hunts 2151 and 2251, antelope horns, longer than ears, any legal weapon? Okay, seeing none, is there anyone in the general public that wishes to speak on these two hunts? Please raise your hand. Okay, seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission. Commissioner McNinch. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, if there's no more discussion, um, I'm prepared to make a motion, so. Okay. Okay. Um, Madam Chair, with that, I'll make a motion that we uh, we approve um, that portion of Commission Regulation 21-14, uh, specific to resident antelope, horns longer than ears, an illegal weapon hunt 2151, as proposed with the, the, um, with the following exception, 015 from 70 to 75. Uh, the, and uh, non-resident antelope horns longer than ears in illegal weapon hunt 2251 as proposed. And uh, the reason for no change under the um, illegal weapon hunt 2151 uh, for me would be, um, uh, you know, number one, there wasn't unanimous uh, uh, vote at the Humboldt cab. There was some uh, um, disagreement there um, and they're hoping to create a trophy unit. Um, I don't see that as a uh, a, a time to, to move the uh, uh, to move that uh, that quota, um, but we can certainly have that conversation at another time. And uh, if that's what they'd like to do, I think there's another form that we can we can have that conversation. Thank you. Do I have a second? 
have a second by Commissioner Keel. So we have a motion by Commissioner McNinch and a second by Commissioner Keel to approve resident antelope. That portion of CR 21-14, resident antelope, horns longer than ears, any legal weapon hunts, 2151 and 2251 as presented with the exception of 015, raising it to 75. All in favor, please raise your hand. Okay, motion carries eight to zero. I don't see Commissioner Hubbs. She's stepped away from her desk. Okay, thank you. Moving on to the muzzleloader hunt, 2171 and 2271. Um, the Humboldt Cab also recommended changes um, to the muzzleloader hunt, 2171. They suggested in units 031 through 051, one tag per unit there. Uh, and then I think we can probably move along with, with some of the other ones in this too. I, I just wanted to start with any legal weapon. And then with the archery hunt, they suggested um, 40 in 043 through 046. That's the archery hunt. Uh, Mineral County Cab suggested 10 in hunt units 205 through 208. In archery hunt 2261, Humboldt Cab suggested four in 043 through 046. And in hunt unit or hunt 2181, the Humboldt Cab suggested five in 031 through 0141, 01, or 041042, and then 20 in 043 through 046. Everybody have those? We'll figure out a rhythm to this. It feels awkward at the moment, but I'm sure we'll figure it out as we move through this. Okay. Any commission comments? Okay, seeing none, we'll take it out for cab comment on the remainder of our antelope hunts. Do we have any cab comments on the remainder of our antelope hunts? Muzzle loader, archery, and horns shorter than ears. Mr. Bunch. Okay, I think I'm live. Yes, it is. There you are. Yes, good morning. For the record, Glenn Bunch, Mineral County. In reference to the cab handbook per NRS 501.297, these are Mineral County's recommendations. We believe that we have five different mountain ranges in this area of 205 through 208. And we have the, in the 205 north of uh, Hawthorne, there has been an observation of several antelope in the uh, north end of the lake area. There's at least 50 or more. Then in the south end of the unit 205 toward south of Hawthorne, there's a pretty good sized herd messing around the bottom of Lucky Boy, being seen of about 25 or 30. Then you get out to the Whiskey Flats area 
And there's over a hundred animals out there in that area that works those fields. And then over in 206, it's a satellite herd of a hundred or more has been observed out there. And in 207, there's another group has been counted and there's probably a hundred animals that's moving around out in that area. 208 has a small herd that's working the, the south end of the valley. And so that's why we've asked in, in the, at least in the archery for hunter opportunity to move to 10 from eight. It was increased in area 205 through 208, these same ones before in, in the general hunt. So, you know, we've thought, well, this is archery. It shouldn't have an impact. However, one might believe that the uh, animals are standing in the middle of the valley waiting for people to be there and they're not, it's not that way. And so um, as a reply to one of the things in the opening comments to Mr. Commissioner McNinch, I have no scientific information or data. This is something that I observe myself when I'm out in those areas during the season. So um, that's where we come up with this. We believe that it's, there's not, wouldn't be an impact to that herd to take out this increase. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bunch. Any other cab comment on the remaining antelope hunts? Okay, seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission. Um, where is Mr. Schroeder? There you are. Would you have any problem with taking that uh, 205 to 208 up to 10 for Mineral County? Uh, for the record, uh, Cody Schroeder, staff specialist. So uh, if I understand you correctly, you're just uh, just asking about the 205 alternate yeah. recommendation. The, yeah, the archery hunt. Um, I think if I followed it correctly, they're recommending just a, an increase of five to be commensurate with the increase in um, rifle or any legal weapon tags. Mm -hmm. So five. I mean, yeah, so biologically, that's probably very insignificant, especially with an archery hunt where we're probably only talking about maybe two animals that would be harvested. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, biologically, no, that's probably maybe just the explanation for why it didn't increase is just the stuff I talked about yesterday with the demand success for me. I don't think we necessarily intended to um, short archery hunters for any particular reason. That's just the formula that we use is that's what's given us our projection. Okay. Okay. Uh, Vice Chair Barnes. Thank you, Madam Chairman. I just have a, have a question. I'm looking at the uh, at the form we were sent, and on the uh, antelope shorter than the ears, um, there's a mention that Humboldt County supports Elko's recommendation mm -hmm. for horn shorter than the ears, and I don't see Elko's recommendation. Is are they are they good with what was presented, or did they have a change? I didn't I didn't hear anything from Mr. Cooney, and I'm not seeing anything. So am I missing something? or are they good with the, the recommendation on horn shorter than the ears? Sorry, my internet being goofy. Um, 
I see Mr. Cooney's raised his hand. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, the Elko cab uh, had went along with the department's recommendation on the antelope. So I'm not sure where that, that other came from. Thank you. All right, thank you. And for the record, Jim Cooney, Elko cabs, I'm sorry. Thank you. Chair, uh, Vice Chair Barnes, does that answer your question? I don't see that Elko supported. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it does. Say. I didn't see anything. I just noticed, see, I saw a notation in there. And so I didn't know if if they had an alternate recommendation that uh, that I didn't see. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't uh, I wasn't missing something. I do see that now. Thank you. Commissioner McNinch. Thank you, Madam Chair. So uh, any comments from Humboldt County on the um, on their proposed uh, recommend uh, recommendations under muzzleloader and uh, under 2171 and uh, 2161? I and, see Mr. Okay, good. Yeah, Mr. Gildone has his hand up now. So um, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and take his comment, but um, just so we can move today along, if, if we're calling for cab comment, please jump in when, we, when we're in that section. This is gonna be a long day. Mr. Gildone? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can, thank you. Tony Gildone, Humboldt County Cab for the record. Um, other than the muzzleloader hunt, the rest of them, the logic was passed on that original motion for, our, for the any legal weapon. So it just trickled down through all the other hunts. Um, the muzzleloader hunt recommendation is in response to Humboldt County's um, desire not to have a muzzleloader hunt at all in these units, which we expressed in prior meetings. So probably not the appropriate time to discuss that, but uh, the, the committee's recommendation to us was to lower it to the least amount possible, which is one, because I don't think you can have a zero quota with the season. That's correct. Okay. And then what about your, oh, so the, the uh, antelope horns shorter than ears, the reductions there are um, based on what you recommended in the, in the um, longer than ears hunts? Uh, correct with the, uh, yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. I don't know if that makes sense on my end, but thank you for Okay. I'm already appreciating the conversation because see that this is um, we're, we're understanding a little bit of what the, the issue is already. And, um, uh, you know, these are conversations that we can have somewhere. Um, uh, it's just it's just not right here. It's not the best place for it. So um, I appreciate uh, the cabs already um, making the effort to, to kind of, you know, explain to us what their thoughts are in a little more detailed manner because uh, I'm already understanding things a lot better than I did coming in. So appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gildone. Anything else? No, thank you very much. Okay. All right. What is the pleasure of the commission? Someone like to make a motion? Commissioner Hubs? 
Um, my only question is in regard to the muzzle loader, noticing that we added a lot of, and that, that was the decision I'm assuming we wanted to add that type of hunt. Um, because we have in our muzzle litter section, like from 19 or 2020, the quota approved on many of them for like um, under 2171, there was no approval. And then we have a large swath. So, I mean, we're, we're upping it, you know, about 53 by 53 numbers. And I, I was just trying to go off memory as to why we didn't have any muzzleloader hunts in some of these other areas. Okay. Do we know why? I just was trying to get from a historical perspective, like why? Um, so. Chairwoman East, if I may, I, I, I think I can probably explain that. Okay. Uh, for go the ahead, Mr. Shorter. Yeah, for the record, uh, staff specialist Cody Schroeder. So yeah, so a lot of these we 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 added this muzzleloader uh, season just this last year. That's why there wasn't an approved quota, you know, before. And we also added the non-resident areas. Um, by and large, this stemmed from a meeting we had this past summer where we were just looking to find ways to get people out in the field, provide additional opportunities where we could, um, knowing that these are, you know, we're looking at very, very minimal quotas here. And, and actually we took the effect of adding these um, for some of these units is we actually kind of siphoned them off the rifle and archery hunts. So we're, we're just kind of creating a different type of opportunity. Um, they're very minimal quotas. So even though there are 53 more, there's quite a few less of the um, horns longer than here, any legal weapon tags in some of those areas. I guess that makes sense to me based on the information. And so why would a cap have an aversion to muzzleloader hunt? Uh, Commissioner Hubs, I honestly cannot answer that question. I, you would have to ask the cabs. Okay, maybe if we if we need to speak with the caps, maybe we can have the cap that was concerned about the muzzle loader hunt state why they're concerned about it. Is it from a wildlife management perspective, or or what is it about the muzzle loading hunt that they don't like? Is that gentleman gone now who was speaking on behalf of the cab? Tony Gildone for the record, Humboldt County cab. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm having really serious connection issues. Um, so my apologies. Yes, Mr. Gildone, we can hear you now. And we do have to go back, back out for public comment. I was because of my connection issues, I got flustered. So go ahead, Mr. Gildone, and then we'll go out for uh, public comment. Yes, ma'am. So um, Humboldt County feels that um, there's already long seasons during a sensitive time for these animals and that adding another season for Humboldt, for, for Humboldt County with a muzzleloader, which is a weapon that can already be legally used during the illegal uh, weapon season, 
is unwarranted. Um, and then just to segue, I don't know if it's the appropriate time, but this is this is one of the topics that was not discussed, I believe, in a prior meeting, um, which um, we felt was, you know, we, we, we should have had this conversation prior and it wasn't discussed by the commission, which was one of the reasons that the uh, letter last month was sent. So. Okay. Uh, does that answer your question, Commissioner Hubs? Yeah, so that does, and obviously, obviously leads to more questions, but I'm just going to leave it there because I'm thinking, okay, if, it, if you can use the muzzle loader during any other type of hunt, um, I can see maybe why they're concerned. Um, if it's infringing on times for other hunts, I'm not 100% uh, certain as to the irritant to that, but it sounds like potentially they feel that this muzzle loader hunt is infringing on the time for other hunts, adding additional time. Is that it? And so for that reason, in and of itself, they don't want to have the quota set on it. Okay. Yeah. And we discussed the seasons back in January. So um, that's right. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Okay. Let's move on to public comment. Um, so we'll take public comment on the um, antelope seasons for muzzleloader archery and horns shorter than ears. Do we have any public comment? Mr. Flowers. Yes, Rex Flowers for the record. Uh, I was just curious, and I don't know if this is the appropriate time or the conversation needs to be had later, but on a number of these new hunts, uh, like with the antelope muzzleloader and the archery, uh, in, in the, in, when we talk about deer, we always give a minimum of two tags for any hunt. Um, and yet on all these antelope hunts, new ones, and you'll find on spike hunts, a number of them, we only give one hunt. And, and in my opinion, we're selling blue sky. Um, I, I would, you know, I would think we would want to give two tags in case two individuals wanted to try to have the opportunity to draw separately, but hunt together. So um, maybe that's for another day, but I, I would ask that question of um, the department through the chairwoman. Thank you. Now half of them are froze up. Loose chairwoman east. I think we may have lost her. Are we done with the public comment or is it still pending? Mr. Belding is requesting public comment, it looks like. Deputy Director Rob. And, yes. uh, and great. Um, as <laughs> I just got a text, text says, please 
to take over. I was going to say, as vice chairman, would you like me to uh, to continue on with the with the meeting then? Yes. Okay, I'm seeing thumbs up. So I guess yeah, I guess. Okay. Bear bear we'll with me office. here. We'll we're gonna we're gonna. Okay. We're gonna proceed onward. Um, so I guess we'll continue with with public comment. Um, Missy, you may have to help me along here as well to rec recognize who's wanting to comment. Gotcha. Mel Belding is next. Oh, Vice Chair Barnes, it looks like Mel Belding is holding his hand. Yeah, I see that. So Mel, go, go ahead. Uh, Mel Belding, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Okay. I would just like to say I'm in, I'm in favor and support Humboldt's County recommendation to have no muzzleloader hunt. I realize it's been done there. So I would like to see one tag instead of two, like Rex Flowers said. I'd also like to say that I support the recommendation in area 041042, horns shorter than ears. I would like to see that drop to five. I would like to see it drop to one actually, but um and I would also like to say at this time that that I would like to see this instead of 15 and 6 being shown on what it does when we harvest does, horns shorter than ears, out of these units. Let's take a look at what it's done to 041042, which has been in a nosedive. So all these averages, we got highs and lows, and we got places where doe harvest doesn't work. And, and 041 and 042 is certainly one of those places. So I'd like to see that. And while I'm at it, you know, I heard a comment about a 15-inch antelope, and we're going to relate that to an 80-inch score. It takes a hell of a 15-inch antelope to get to 80 inches. So, you know, general statements, you know, we just, we got to stay away from those type of things. Thank you. Hey, thank you. any other public comment um uh okay, Vice i'm Chair not Barnes, seeing anything missy I, are you seeing anything no but mel belding should put Mr. down Hubs. his hand yeah mel belding i think his hand is still up yeah perfect he took it down thank you Okay, I'm not seeing any other uh, public comment. So then I'm gonna go ahead and, and bring it back to the uh, board for more um, comments or, uh, or a motion. Commissioner Allenberg. Yeah, I just uh, I see you with your hand up. Yes, I did. I just had a, a couple questions for for Cody. Um, uh, again, when they they're what is there any difference in, in conducting this uh, muzzleloader hunt in these units in Humboldt County versus any other area within the state? Is there a reason that it would be uh, additionally uh, stressful for the animals versus any other muzzleloader hunt? Same time of year in the rest of the state? Uh, for the record, 
Cody Schroeder, Staff Specialist. Commissioner Almberg, I cannot think of anything that would be particularly different than we've had with some of our existing hunts. There's no, I mean, we've been, we've had these hunts for years for some of our other areas and we, we've never detected a appreciable difference in you know, animal productivity or anything like that. So I don't, I can't think of anything. And then a second, the second part of my question was uh, these initial quotas that you're recommending for that muzzleloader hunt, were they based on some historical demand from muzzleloader in other areas? Yes, uh, Commissioner Allenberg, uh, great question. So yeah, so since they are new, we don't have, you know, a traditional uh, or applications from that unit. So we, we basically use the statewide average for demand just to get uh, you know, some amount of demand in there to start with. Um, as you can see, they're all pretty, pretty low, you know, ranging from one to five. Um, those could fluctuate with time if there aren't, if there are, or we could even perhaps think about getting rid of them if there is no demand for them. But yeah, we use the statewide average uh, based on some of the other applications from the other hunts to, to come up with those. Okay. Yes, Commissioner Cavilla. I guess a, a question for Cody. Um, looking at uh, Humboldt's, you know, recommended recommended reductions. Um, I mean, really, it's not numbers wise. It's not like the, on the on the any legal weapon hunt. They're, they're, it's we're talking low tag numbers. I mean, bio, biologically, the difference between like. 031 going from 10 doe tags to five, is there really biologically we even see a difference from their, their proposed five to your proposed 10 or, or from five to 15? I mean, these are all really low numbers. Um, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but based on previous discussions, these, these minor adjustments, really do you see a difference biologically? We see a difference other than the only thing we're really doing is taking away some tags from hunters. Yeah, for the record, uh, Cody Schroeder, staff specialist. So, you know, most of those are, are not going to be biologically meaningful, the, the numbers that, that you referenced. Um, obviously, we have to factor in hunt success. So just those tag numbers aren't going to equate necessarily to dead animals. Um, I mean, it's fairly high for, for antelope in general and horn short of the nears. But uh, yeah, you're right. Those are my thoughts that it's just denying people the opportunity to go hunting. Yes, Commissioner McNinch. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So the, um, with respect to the 2181 hunt, the uh, horn shorter than ears, um, it, it was my understanding from the uh, Humboldt cab that uh, with the exception of the muzzleloader, hunt, muzzleloader uh, hunts, that the rest of them were all premised off of the um, recommendations uh, out of the any legal weapon that we didn't uh, that we didn't um, approve or move uh, agree with so uh, in my mind um, my inclination would be to be to keep them as recommended by the department and um, you know provide those opportunities and again I'll reiterate I appreciate the conversations um, uh, with these but that's kind of where my mind is falling I'm a little easier to convince to add more tags than to reduce. So that's just kind of where, where my brain works. 
Commissioner Hubs. I'm inclined, so it sounds like we're inclined potentially to change the numbers in Mineral County and potentially just leave the numbers as is in Humboldt County because we already, um, you know, set quotas for the, um, as I think Commissioner McMinch was alluding to, any legal weapons. So it's not like we can go back and add any numbers there, but we can certainly observe the muzzle loader um, hunt in that area. Was was there any significant changes by the cabs outside of those two counties? You know, just just looking, I didn't I didn't see any other significant changes. So it it just sounds to me perhaps that we are all in agreement potentially to just move forward with the rest of them um, pursuant to how Endow presented it with the minor change in Mineral County. Am I missing that? anything else? Um, that's that's kind of how I'm I'm seeing it, and um, I think we're we're probably getting pretty close to. Uh, to somebody making a, uh, a motion. Um, so if that's the case- Commissioner uh, McNinch. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> okay, you're, you're delayed. It's like, uh, so we're, we're working with your very small, your slight delay. I was watching Commissioner Romberg raise his hand and I just- Waiting for the message to get from you to- I just- to you. <laughs> So- I had I a message to, come across my screen that says I'm- working on a delayed connection. So okay. I may disappear pretty quick too. Okay. <laughs> well, with that, I'll make a motion to approve uh, resident antelope horns longer, uh, that portion of uh, CR 2114 relevant to uh, resident antelope horns longer than ears, muzzleloader hunt 2171 um, as presented by the department, non-resident antelope horns longer than ears, muzzleloader hunt 2271 as presented, resident antelope horns longer than ears, archery hunt 2161 as presented, uh, with the exception that 205, 208 uh, from five tags to 10, uh, non-resident antelope horns longer than ears, archery hunt 2261 as presented, and president, uh, I'm sorry, resident antelope horns shorter than ears, any legal weapon hunt 2181 as presented. And my reasoning is um, uh, the, uh, in the muzzleloader hunt, the uh, um, uh, recommendations from Humboldt Cab were based on uh, them not wanting a muzzleloader hunt. Um, and as noted earlier, I think that that's a, uh, an opportunity to talk um, prior to the next uh, hunt season to see if uh, if that's the direction we continue to go down. Um, but I'm not uh, I'm not sure that reducing those um, adds value to to what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, the other hunts um, that Humboldt had made recommendations on were all premised on uh, any legal weapon hunt recommendations that we uh, that we didn't uh, uh, go along with prior. I'll second that. Okay, I have a, uh, a motion and a second. Is there any further discussion on the motion? Seeing none, I'm gonna call for the vote. All those in favor, please signify by raising your hand, please. 
Thank you. It passed unanimously um, with Chairwoman East um, absent of the vote. Mr. Mr. Vice Chair, you, you may notice that uh, there's a camera now in the view here where it's labeled Tiffany East and uh, you can see Deputy Director Rob and Kaylee Taylor uh, scrambling. We're, we're setting up a uh, computer station uh, and camera uh, in the director's conference room here at our office and she's on her way here now. If we could take a break, we can test that um, and then reconvene upon her arrival. Thank you, Director Wazley. I was going to suggest at this point we do take a break so we can uh, get Chairwoman East um, back before we start on uh, on the next species. So let's, I guess let's take a break and then uh, Director Wazley, when we're ready to go, I guess get us all back together. Yeah, let's tentatively uh, look at 20 minutes and, and plan on uh, 1145 uh, at, at very minimum. Um, We'll provide an update at that point in time, but let's do for 11.45. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Missy, this is a test. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Thank you. Testing now? Yes, I can. Thank you.